Oh dear. Summer Psalms. Learning the songs of Jesus. We have taken a break from our normal sermon series as we've done the last number of summers. We've been studying uh, the Old Testament, looking from Genesis all the way through Malachi, what the Old Testament scriptures teach us. But in the summer, we're taking a pause from that as we have the last number of summers, and we are studying the Psalms. Slow and unhurried time, learning quite literally the songs of Jesus. The songs that our King, our Messiah, sung Prayed, memorized. These are the songs of Jesus. So we um, find ourselves in Psalm 48 this morning, and I'm excited for what the Lord might have for us. So as is our custom here, let us stand for the reading of God's word. The most important moment, uh, maybe, is the Lord speaking to us right now through Psalm 48. And my humble attempt to show you what this psalm might have for us. So... Listen to God's holy, inspired, and errant word. Psalm 48. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. Selah. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about, Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels, that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, in his fine but little book, The City of God and the Goal of Creation, biblical theologian T. Desmond Alexander opens with these words. Quote, cities inspire very different emotions in people. For some, they are a magnet, offering every opportunity and pleasure that a civilized person might desire. For others, cities are places from which to escape. The peace and tranquility of the rural life being a more attractive alternative. Like them or loathe them, cities have been a pervasive feature of human life for millennia. Given their ubiquitous nature, it is no surprise that cities figure prominently in the Bible. Their presence, however, is not merely incidental. At the very heart of God's plan for our world stands an extraordinary city. Close quote. 
T. Desmond Alexander. This is a, it's a really good series, if I could just give a shameless plug. It's called Short Studies in Biblical Theology. It's published by Crossway. Uh, they're like 150 or less pages covering uh, a topic throughout the entire Bible. Uh, but they're, uh, they're accessible, readable, and applicable. There's uh, other uh, volumes that cover the kingdom of God, covenant, marriage, redemptive reversals. There's ones coming out by Guy Waters on Sabbath, which I'm excited for. Uh, this is the one I read this week. It's good. Again, small. But I would hold out to us the same question. The question or the sentiment of Dr. Alexander, and that is, what are your thoughts about cities? A city, our city, or the city? Our psalm today, Psalm 48, centers on the city of God. But specifically the theme of God dwelling with his people in that city. And when you think of city, you're probably thinking of tall skyscrapers and uh, like downtown Indy or New York or L.A. And that could be part of it, but it's, it's more than that. The, the biblical city is the place of like action and trade, culture, art, education, as it is the hub of university. Yes, there are, there's a greater population there, but it's because people are living next to one another in the city. And in the ancient world, though, and maybe most importantly, at the city's center was the temple. You wanted to be in the city because that's where your God was, in the heart of the city. And your proximity to said God was important. And so you wanted to be in the city and close to where God was. And then, if you weren't in the city proper, you wanted to be as close to the city as you could because that's where God was, in the city. We're going to look at ancient Israel's view of their city and their temple. But most importantly, we're going to see clearly as the story of Scripture unfolds what that city pointed to and what their temple is now. And I'm excited. But so we're going to look at two big themes from this psalm throughout Scripture uh, at a pretty high view and then thinking uh, through some applications and implications for us from those biblical themes. The first one of the two, you can probably guess what it is, the city of God. But secondly, I'm pulling this directly from verse 9, is the temple of God in God's city. Now, to, to survey this psalm, we're going to look at it in three parts. We're going to see God, secondly, God's city, and thirdly, God's temple in God's city. But as we're doing that, we're looking at God, we're looking at God's city, we're looking at God's temple in God's city. I don't want us to be bogged down and miss the whole point. And so I'm about to let you know on a secret. The whole point of Psalm 48, but it's bigger than that. It's the whole point of human history. The point of your life, truly. The point of the breath that you just took. The point of the breath you just took. The point of the breath you just took is this. And it's in your sermon insert in red, I think, or at least bold. God dwelling among his rescued and reconciled people is the goal of creation and redemption. The whole goal, the entire goal of creation and redemption, God's rescuing sinners like us, the whole goal of that is God dwelling amongst, in the midst of his people. God as our God, we as his people enjoying him, rescued and redeemed by him. That is where all of history 
is going. Now, we are in Psalm 48, which is no surprise to you, comes after Psalm 47, and 46, and 45, and 42, 43. So when we started our summer in the Psalms, we started back in the early June in Psalm 42. The Psalms are put together. They're not just a disconnected collection of Psalms and songs that are nice. They're put together intentionally. One psalm often finding its answer and fulfillment in the next. So this, psalm, this summer, 2022, we began at the beginning of book two of the Psalter, which was Psalm 42 and 43. You may recall they were kind of a bummer. Psalm 42 and 43 are, are glorious and wonderful. Oh, truly, they are laments. But this is what I mean by bummer. I mean they were dark. The psalmist is crying out his darkness of soul, spiritual depression. He sees no light at the end of the tunnel. Where are you, God? And why is my soul so downcast? Psalms 42 and 43, which were individual laments, come together in Psalm 44, where the people of God are now together as a community lamenting. Bad guys and bad gals are all around. Where are you, God? They're together as the community lamenting. Then we begin to get some answers and comfort. We saw in Psalm 45, what is the solution to corporate communal lamenting and then your personal darkness and depression of soul? The king in Psalm 45. Mighty to save, who has come to rescue and redeem a people. And then Psalm 46, we looked at Ein feste Burg ist unser Gott. A mighty, God, a mighty fortress is our God. The words of Martin Luther. Where we saw a city Standing and lasting because God is there even though the earth gives way and crumbles around it. Last week in Psalm 47, we were hearing and seeing all of the, those bad guys and bad gals of Psalms 44 and others actually singing praise to the one true God because they, like Israel, have been rescued. We learned about God saving a people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And the once enemies of God now a part of Abraham. And then today, now we're going to zoom in on this God in his city, in his temple, and the, the sons of Korah, this psalm, celebrating God's presence on earth. So we're going to have to move quick. I went a little long first service, and I've made some cuts between service, but um, just hopefully cutting the boring stuff. Uh, uh, first, God. It's probably a good place to start with God. But I'm getting this from verses 1 and 14. Look at how the psalm opens. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. The, the NIV and the Net Bible both translate that. Most worthy to be praised. And then you jump down to the end of the psalm. 12 and following. There's this command to walk around the city, which is called Zion in that verse. Walk around. Look at the towers and the defenses and how beautiful and mighty this city is. Walk around and look at it so that you can tell the next generation, this is our God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. That last sentence, he will guide us forever. The Septuagint and other uh, translated, he will guide us even beyond death. That is why. And so I'm starting with this because I want to make the simple observation that there is nothing special about any city, any suburban context, any farm, if God is not there. This is not a psalm just celebrating cities for cities' sake. This is a psalm about God. Make no mistake, though, he is being praised in the city of God, 
But he is the one that makes that city special. He's in the midst of the city. He is present and therefore as the resident in this earthly city, as we'll see, makes it special. So I hope hope I'm preaching to the choir here that God is the point of your life. We usually say it as God's glory. His fame, majesty, is to be celebrated. That is why you are alive. That's why you're here. That's why you haven't been taken to glory yet and still have breath in your lungs. We are here for God and to make much of Him. God is the point. And so I don't want us to make the mistake of of mistaking the location for the point. The location being in the city of our God, verse 1, but missing that it's God, it's the Lord, Yahweh, who is greatly to be praised. God, who, who He is, we are to be thinking about and meditating upon and singing about who God is, His beauty, majesty, His worth, His value, His complexity, His brilliance, His triunity. He is the one to be praised. He is the one for whom you should be living your life and making your decisions, all of them, however big and small. God, what he has done in rescuing a people for himself through the blood of Jesus from every tribe, language, people, and nation, he is the one to be exalted and celebrated. God, the creator and redeemer who spoke all things into existence and upholds everything by the word of his power, and has purchased us through the work of Jesus, made us his own, who is not creature and not part of creation. He is the one that is the point. This entire psalm, like the entire Bible, you could say, has a Godward direction. It is God-centered. The scriptures are not man-centered, unless we're talking about the God-man, Jesus Christ. It's no wonder then that our tradition, um, Reformed and, and Presbyterian types of crew, uh, we, we came from, uh, our standards include the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a question-answer tool for teaching biblical truth to young ones and to new believers, begins with this theme. What is the Westminster Shorter Catechism? Question one, what is man's chief end? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is your end, your telos, your purpose, your goal. That's where we come from and that's where we're headed. It's the whole point of human history. Making much of Jesus Christ and being with Him. The catechism that I'm using with with my kiddos, seven, five, three, that's just about it. The baby's not involved yet, um, but he will be soon. I hope. It's called the first catechism. First catechism, it starts very, you know, basic and easy. Who made you? God. What else did God make? God made all things. But by question three, you're already at the heart of your purpose in life. Why did God make you and all things, little one? For his own glory. My kiddos know that. A lot of your kiddos know that. This is what Psalm 48 is holding before us. God's glory, God's worth, God's value, His majesty, His beauty, His strength, His sovereignty. 
And so our application is simply to dwell on and seek to live into what Paul tells the New Testament churches to do. Live for His glory. Spend your life and your breath for His fame. Colossians 3.17 To a local church, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Or another letter to a different church, the, the Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's what Psalm 48 is getting at. It's all about God. The psalm is bookended with God, even though now we're going to dive a little deeper and look at the city of God and the temple of God and what they meant. Second, God's city. This is verses 2 through 8. This is where I've hoped to cut a little bit out. Um, so, let me just say from the outset. First, the city in this psalm is the earthly Jerusalem. The ancient people of God, what was often called, David basically takes the city, King David, about a thousand years before Christ, thousand BC, he takes the city of Jerusalem, ushers in peace and prosperity, and then his son Solomon builds the temple and then just adds more peace, prosperity, and glory to this city. It is the earthly Jerusalem in the midst of the earthly land of Israel. But it would be helpful to say from the outset, just briefly, and then I'll show you in a moment, it was never about the earthly city of Jerusalem, an earthly temple, and earthly Israel. There are dear brothers and sisters that come from a kind of a different group and a different tradition. Maybe you know them. They're still making a big deal out about what, what's happening in Israel. Um, thinking a lot about the earthly land of Jerusalem and what's going on there. Um, again, dear brothers and sisters, that's a, it's a different way of thinking about this. This psalm is, in fact, celebrating and talking about the earthly Jerusalem. But what the scriptures make increasingly clear as we keep reading is that that Jerusalem pointed ahead to something else, which we started with our call to worship, a new Jerusalem. A new city that comes down from glory and takes its place at the heart of a new earth and a new heaven. So, oh man. Let's, uh, you see the beauty, the grandeur of the city is highlighted in verses 2 and 3 with elevated language of elevation. It's beautiful. It's a holy mountain. It's the joy of all the earth. God is in the midst as a fortress, a high, strong tower. Oh, and then the enemies are introduced in verses 4 through 8. I'm just going to skip that. Come talk to me afterwards. What I want to say here is that this, if I had more time, I would love to show you throughout the story from Genesis 1, literally the, the opening pages of the Bible, through the garden, which is a temple city, through Cain, who's called a city builder, through Babylon, Genesis 11, where we see an enemy, rival city of God fighting against God's city, the city is at the beginning, and the city is where all of history is going, where we will be, and the new city to come. But here, it is Jerusalem in their day and age, and in their, their way of worshiping and meeting with the Lord, it's the city of Jerusalem. The earthly city is established, and it's hard for us to understand the importance of this city, but I think it'll be fleshed out as we go. Literally, Psalm 48, I'm sorry, 84, just switch those for some reason, Psalm, oh, we're in 48, that's why, switch the number, Psalm 84 is literally a psalm that would have been 
saying by the people living in the outskirts about the city as they were walking to the city. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord our God. Where was that? Jerusalem. They would have made pilgrimages to the city at least once a year, sometimes more, to be in the city of God. But again, don't forget, because God is there. Psalms 120 to 134 would have all been memorized. They were the Psalms of Ascent. Literally, as they're ascending. When you talked about city, uh, the city of Jerusalem, you were always going up to the city, no matter where you were coming from. And regardless of whether you were going up and down in elevation, you were always going up to Jerusalem. And when you left, you were always coming down from Jerusalem. It is important to these people. Now, we get to the New Testament. We see one, Paul focuses on cities. He goes to the the cities first, because that's where the people are, to preach the gospel, and then they work out from there. But the point is actually the earthly Jerusalem pointing ahead to another city, the new Jerusalem. Whether it's Abraham or the 12 tribes of Israel or Moses or David or Solomon, they actually weren't looking for the earthly city alone. They knew that that city was actually about a different city, a greater city, through which and to which Jesus would bring us. I'm going to read it to you in just a moment. And this was all done because of Jesus' work for us. So friends, we are to care for our cities, right? There's probably an appropriate application here to be about the city, to be about our city, to lean into our streets and our cul-de-sacs and to, to be about our place. But we are to be about our city knowing that we actually live for a different city. Or to put it another way, we are to to be committed to our places knowing that our citizenship is actually in a different land, a different city, a different country. And that is exactly what all the saints through history have believed, including Abraham. What is he? He's about like, yeah, Moses is 1400 years B.C. We're back beyond that. Listen to these words. The uh, the author of Hebrews, it's a a New Testament letter called Hebrews. Not sure who the author is. Famous chapter in chapter 11, often called the Hall of Faith, where we celebrate all these Old Testament saints and their faith. Uh, Certainly a bunch of imperfect guys and gals. But in that chapter, after thinking through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their great faith, and, and Moses, and guys like this, the judges, the author of Hebrews says this. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles, remember that phrase, on earth. For people who speak like that make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, so now we're back on earth, earthly land, they would have had opportunity to go back. They could stay there. The author of Hebrews goes on, but as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Listen to this. This is amazing. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abraham got it. 
Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. It's the physical land of Israel. Uh, Abraham, you're eventually going to have the city of Jerusalem. Okay, okay. But he's like, well, it's never about that. It's about a different city. I don't want that city alone. I want the heavenly one where you are, God. They got it. And yet we struggle so much. I do at least. Living for this place. Storing up my stuff, which is all just a temporary status right now. Failing to think and live my life in a Godward direction, in a new city direction. Knowing that we, like them, should be desiring a better country. A heavenly one. And did you catch that last phrase? Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God. God's not ashamed to be called their God because they were looking forward to being with Him in another city. And because they were looking ahead to another city and looking forward to being with God in that new city, God was happy to be their God. Implicit there is something nerve-wracking. God might be ashamed to be the God of some people because they're not looking ahead to a better country, a heavenly one. I feel that. I feel that. How often, how much are we considering our expiration? In a non-morbid way, knowing that we are temporarily here we live for a different place and we await a day when that new city becomes earth new earth new heavens new earth and we dwell with God in glorified bodies no more sin no more pain God wipes away every tear from our eyes as our banners in the back say and as we've named our church new city church or are we storing up all of our stuff here, spinning our wheels for all of our earthly things and pleasures with little regard to the real city to which all cities point. Third and finally, God's temple in God's city. Okay, so again, the point of this city being special is God being in the midst of it, and he's in the midst of this city because he's in the temple that's at the heart of the city. Verse 9, I'm just going to riff on verse 9 for a couple minutes and then take us to the table. The temple. We have thought on, we have meditated, memorized, deliberated upon your steadfast love. Underline that, and that's where we're going to go to the table with that phrase. We have thought on your steadfast love, O oh God, in the midst of your temple. Again, it's kind of hard for us as modern people in the 21st century. I know it's hard for me to grasp the importance of the temple. I'll do my best in like 30 seconds. The temple, friends, is the place where forgiveness of sins happened. You want sins forgiven? You've got to get to the temple. The temple is where prayers are heard. Did you even notice it in our uh, declaration of pardon that Ben read for us? One of the first verses there in our declaration of pardon. Look at it later. The, the psalmist is praying, bowing down toward the temple. Likely outside the city, and maybe far away from the city, spending his time praying toward the city. Because the, the temple is where you prayed if you wanted your prayers heard. The temple is God's presence on earth. If you wanted to see God, be with God, know God, have fellowship with God, you had to be at the temple. 
It was the place of instruction where you learned, where you could see the scriptures. It's a place from where God sent people out. The temple, in verse 2, is the holy mountain. It's the joy of all the earth. The temple was the light to the nations. In one real sense. It's not an overstatement to say heaven and earth are touching at the temple. The overlapping of the, the visible and invisible. The overlapping of eternal and earthly things. It is Emmanuel, God with us. Hopefully, maybe, maybe not. You know where I'm going with this. The temple is the place where sins are forgiven, where prayers are heard, where God's presence on earth is manifest, especially it's where you go to have fellowship with God and people that follow God. The temple's a big deal. I'm looking at the temple. The New Testament story does away with the earthly temple that has a centerpiece in the worship of Israel. It's radical. When Jesus comes along and says, this building's going to be torn down, done away with, not a stone left upon a stone, but the temple is actually going to be raised three days later. It's me, Jesus says. Jesus is the temple, and all those who follow Jesus are stones of the temple. But do you remember what I just said about how important the temple was? Sins are forgiven there. Prayers are heard there. God was met there. That's where you went for instruction. That's where you, it was the center of life. Friends, y'all, the church is the temple. You want sins forgiven? It's in the church through Jesus Christ, the true temple. You want prayers heard? Church. You want to meet with God? Church. Not these buildings, not this wall, not this stage, but us who are stones put together, making a building, and God lives here. If you're a note taker, that's Ephesians 2 for you, verses 20 and 21. That's 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5, and yes, it's 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, the, the latter. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 is in the form of a question. Do you not know your body is a temple? Don't want to step, I'm going to step on some toes here. Uh, it's not actually about your body. You're not that verse, right? Usually we're, we're like, oh, we shouldn't eat McDonald's, uh, smoke, drink too much. We couldn't, because my body's a temple, I should be healthy. Uh, yes, but that's argued differently. That verse is talking about y'all corporately. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do y'all not know that your body, the church, together is the temple Heaven on earth touching where God lives and forgives sins and hears prayers and reveals his presence. It's a y'all reality. I loved how Ryan in his testimony this morning was just, he's a Texas boy. Y'all, 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 right? We need to get back a little bit of y'allness. Y'all. Following Jesus is a team sport. It's a community project. That's why all the images in the New Testament of family, body, temple, Building for us is communal in nature. Friends, have a higher view of the church, please. Yes, we're imperfect because you're in it. I'm in it. But we should have a high and elevated view of the church because it is the temple of God where God lives on earth, where the invisible and eternal is crossing over dimensionally somehow with the earthly and physical. Heaven on earth. So I'll conclude with this. 
There came a day, like any other, when Earth's mightiest heroes were united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes that no single hero could withstand. A major theme, actually, of the Marvel Universe is that of teamwork, of camaraderie, interdependence. In their case, it was to you know, defeat Thanos from taking over the world and snapping his finger and killing half the universe. And in the beginning, I know some of you are actually going through the, the, the movies right now. Um, a number of them are like kind of, uh, what's that called? Foundation stories, create, where, where they come from. There we go, origin stories, in which many of them are functioning solo. But as the universe builds and as the stories and movies go, you see that they unite as a team knowing they can't ultimately be victorious alone. The opening theme song, actually, of the animated Avengers. It's a a big big hit in my family. Um, Avengers Assemble. I think the song's called Fight as One. But here are the words, the first verse. Fight as one. Our world is about to break, tormented and attacked, but now I'm not alone. Always we will fight as one. Till the battle's won, evil on the run, we will never come undone because assembled we are strong, forever fight as one. You might be thinking, is he about to compare the church's mission with that of superheroes? That is exactly what I'm about to do. And yet, talking with a pastor friend of mine who helped me with this illustration, actually, uh, and this is just a, a quote from him, the comparison only breaks down because our church is more glorious, our connection to one another more epic, and our work more important. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and therefore a cosmic display of God's glory, and together make up the most important institution in world history. No big deal. I think I'm going to sleep in this morning. It's been a long week. That is true. You are the church. You are a stone in the church, and the other stones need you. The people around you need you. They're not going to make it to the new city without you. It's a team sport, friends. We need one another. I need you. And so we're going to the table, which is in a real sense, like the Avengers illustration, a family meal. But even deeper, it's a meal about somebody else and with somebody else. Look again at verse 9. We have thought on your, everybody say it, steadfast love. King James Version, old school, goes loving kindness. NIV, unfailing love. The Net Bible, loyal love. Love. They're all just grasping at, trying to get their heads around this beautiful phrase. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It's God's covenant, unbreakable love in which he is committed to his people who trust in Jesus alone and what Jesus has provided for them. If that is you, God is committed to you. He loves you and he likes you. My favorite translation of that is the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Kids book with pictures. What is the steadfast love of God? All throughout that story, she describes it as the God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Friends, we can be 
in the new city of God. We can be a part of the temple of God where God lives on earth because Jesus, God's son, died for us, died for our sins, rose for our justification. So when God looks at you, Christian, he sees one who is righteous, even though you're still a ball of mess and sin and rebellion. You are a part of God's house now because Jesus got what we deserved and we can get righteousness, forgiveness, and love in him. It is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And the verse is even greater than that, actually. Our, our English is just missing something very important. It's the word so. For God so loved the world. What does that mean? What does so mean? We're not sure. We, well, we, do, we, we are sure. We often think it's like, for God so, 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 super so loved the world. It's even better. It's a word of specificity. The ESV, if you have a copy of it, will even give you the footnote saying this. It literally says that it's in this way that God loves the world. By sending his own son for you to make you sons and daughters. How does God love you? Lots of ways. Provision, love, protection, but I'll tell you how he loves you. It's in this way. He sent his own son to make us sons and daughters. He sent his own son to die for you. To rise from the dead so we can live with him in the new city to come. And make us a temple. So friends, we're coming to the Lord's table as we do every week. Because in this meal we are reminded of the goal of creation and redemption. And that is God dwelling in the midst of his rescued and reconciled people. We often just need reminders. I certainly do. In this meal, as we go to it and, and eat of bread and drink wine or white grape juice, we are reminded of Jesus' body given for us and his blood shed for us, redeeming and rescuing us and making us the temple, making us the place where God dwells and keeping us forever. Here at New City, we say that the, t the, about to say the temple, the table is not for perfect people. It's for imperfect people who recognize their sin, but know they have a greater Savior. And so if you are resting in Jesus alone for salvation, you've received him and his person and his work that he has done for you, as imperfect as you are, you are invited to the table if you're trusting in Jesus alone for forgiveness. The way we do it at New City, you'll come from the outside of the room and you go and receive bread, which represents his body given for you, and either red wine or white grape juice, representing his blood poured out for you, his blood of the new covenant, his unbreakable, never giving up love for you. What we'll do is we'll, uh, you'll bring the elements back to your seat and we'll partake together communally as the household of God, as the temple. So let me pray for us and then we will go to the table together. Lord, you are good, and at the, the very heart of your plan stands an extraordinary city. You have redeemed and rescued and made a people for yourself, and I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts with the idea that we are going to live with you forever on a renewed earth, with renewed heavens in a new city. Jesus, be with us now as you remind us in bread and wine of your covenant love. You're never giving up always and forever, unbreakable love for sinners like us. Help us trust in you. Jesus, nourish our souls. 
Give us faith as you meet with us in this meal. In Jesus' name.